Hi everyone, I'm Jess. And I'm Heidi. And this is Betty Squared. Woo. Over the last couple of weeks, no more than that, at, over the last few months really, we've been revisiting season one whilst we patiently await the arrival of season three of Riverdale. And you know what? This episode is second to last of season one. Yeah, we're it's perfect so, timing. We're making it just in time. Yeah, we are, which I know originally when you first suggested that we like do a look back, I was like, oh, I don't know if we can fit every episode in, but we have. Yeah. And this so, with yeah, being perfect and actually doing it weekly. But <laughs> yeah, true. Exactly. Um, and I know there's been some weeks where we haven't recorded or an episode's come out late, but we've still managed to do it. Yeah. Which is awesome go us big pat on the shoulders for us or pat on the back rather <laughs> I am um, I'm desperate for massage at the moment so all I can think about is my shoulders and how how tight they are and how I need somebody to pummel me to death and get all those knots out well I hope not to death but <laughs> right not to death that's probably that's really dramatic I'm sorry I've been uh I've been around very dramatic people lately, so that was that was uh, their influence right there. No, not to death, but I just need somebody to like beat me at least to a bloody pulp, and then I'll be okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh goodness, just another stellar start to our uh, episode of the week. Yeah. Um, we are looking today at chapter twelve, Anatomy of a Murder. Which it's so funny because anatomy is a word that I struggle with. I have to really, really look at it. Oh. I, for whatever reason, always think it's autonomy. Oh. But that's my, that's my overexerted brain trying to process things. I have the same problem with words with double L's mm. in them. I have to really like sound it out in my head first before I say it because otherwise it comes out like I have a little bit of a, um, like a not a lisp but more of a speech impediment for whatever reason double l's are really difficult for me <laughs> i would love an example because all i'm thinking about is you stuttering over llama or something <laughs> okay so something like um in australia near the town where i'm from there's another town and i have to like pause before i say it to be able to say it properly but this town is called Lilydale. So because it has the double L at the beginning in Lily, which I'm okay with. Yeah. But then it has the L in Dale. When I put it together, it can sometimes come out like Lilydale. Mm. Like that's how I'll say it. Or even that other Okay, I'm going to attempt to say this and I'm either going to embarrass myself or I'm going to nail it. I believe in you. Similarly. Similarly. Similarly? I can't say it properly. No. You were very close. I mean, I I knew what you meant, so that's a good sign. I have to really, really think about it. And even still, I can't get it. And just like a random one that I can't get. And I'm going to mess it up and it's going to totally be humiliating. But here we are. We're all human. We're doing it. Is, is car- caricature? Well, wait, did I say it right? Car- caricature. I mean, for, for you being Australian, yeah, you said it right. Um, caricature. I would say it caricature, but you saying it caricature is sounds fine. Well, that's, that's the Australian accent for you, yeah. but... Um, normally when I'm like, oh, let's go get one. I'm usually like, let's go get a caricature. <laughs> get a character picture. <laughs> I just, I'm just a mess for whatever reason. Lilydale. Similarly, I can't say it. You think there's an extra L in there somewhere. It's. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. If you try thinking about it as that it's similar, Lee. So it's similar. Similar. No, I can't. I, I just added another L. Similarly. Similar, similarly. No, I can't. 
you know what? When in my life am I ever going to need that word? I would never be like, oh, and similarly, I would just be like, oh, yeah, it's similar. (laughs) You definitely wouldn't since you can't say it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'll never forget one of my very first acting jobs when I was first starting out um, back in Australia when I was like 16 was this um, instructional video. And um, I was talking about a very dry subject. It was something like ethical storage of data. Like it was talking about like computer programming and making sure your client's uh, data is safe and protected and all of this. Uh, To this day, I couldn't tell you what ethical storage of data is, but there we are. (laughs) But it had the word similar, Lily, similarly, whatever. (laughs) it had that in the script and I remember I sort of stumbled on it and we did a couple of retakes but I didn't think anything of it and then I got a copy of the the uh the product for my reel and then I remember we watched it and my dad going what was that word Jess and I'm like similarly and he's like why are you adding all these extra l's and I'm like I don't know how to say that word (laughs) oh my goodness So, yes, this isn't a recent development. I have been a mess all of my life. (laughs) I mean, same. So, (laughs) And that's probably why we were drawn to one another. Yes, I I think so. But enough on my uh, inability to speak. Let's let's look at this episode. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're up to Chapter 12, Anatomy of Murder, which I nearly said Autonomy of Murder. Uh, I did look it up on IMDb and I had a little giggle because the synopsis is, uh, it's not very helpful. It's more one of those like, oh, what if, like, or what's going to happen? So the synopsis that IMDb gave is in a murder trial, the defendant says he suffered temporary insanity after the victim raped his wife. What is the truth and will he win his case? Question mark. I'm like, oh, um, okay. Usually a synopsis is a little bit more descriptive yeah. versus thought provoking. But yeah, so they're obviously, they're dealing with a murder trial, which is very similar to this episode. Um, but everything else that passes that um, description isn't really valid, uh, you know, no one suffered temporary insanity. Um, thankfully, no one was sexually assaulted. But the thought-provoking question of what is the truth and will he win his case is valid, I guess, because what is the truth in this episode of Riverdale? You know, FP is committed to, uh, um, admitted to uh, Jason's murder, but we soon find out that that's obviously not the actual truth of it. Well, and that seems interesting too that they used anatomy of a murder as the as the title when it seems as well that that this movie and book too, it's based off of a book, seem to be about the trial process and the justice system. Um more so than necessarily what this episode's about which is like just everything else but the actual trial situation we've never had any sort of trial situation on Riverdale at all so that's kind of interesting but right exactly exactly it's yeah it's a strange one but yeah it was funny because whilst you were saying oh you know this is based about you know the the actual legal process or the justice system not the actual crime itself I didn't even realize that that's what this episode was but yeah it was it it looked into you know what's inadmissible in court what evidence can and can't be used you know guilty innocent wrongful c- confessions it's yeah it's more a look of what goes on outside of that courtroom before it even gets to that stage yeah yeah definitely I have so many notes for this episode because whilst I feel like it started out as a very 
slow beginning, it then just kind of took off flying. It actually, for me, felt like it was longer than a one-hour episode because of how much they actually jam-packed into it. Did you have the same feeling? Yeah, this episode is for sure one of my favorites. I really enjoy this. It feels very meaty. There's a lot of, like, really good things going on in this episode. Um, And that's yeah. technically, and I think also, like, acting-wise and with just technical from the writing to how they edit it, there's, like, a lot of things that I really enjoyed. To be honest, though, didn't do any notes because I watched this on a plane. So... <laughs> Girl, I am so proud of you for committing to the cause. <laughs> I I watched this at 6.30 in the morning. So to give you some context, uh, now that my husband um, is, is back and has started working, he's working exorbitantly long hours mm-hmm. at the moment because he works in construction and we only have one car. So if I need the car for the day because I start later in the day, I have to drive him to his job site, leave him there, come home, get ready for work, then go out, work my day, and then come home and pick him up. So I've been getting up at like five in the morning to drop him off, and I'm about ready to die. So I love that you and I are both here today and we're recording, and I love that we both committed despite how crazy our lives are at the moment, we both committed to watching this episode. So another pat on the back for us. We're awesome. (laughs) Well, I I could just dive in with my first note, if you like, because it's a little bit of a funny one. Yeah, go for it. Betty sleeps with her hair in a high ponytail? Oh my God. I thought the same thing. When I saw that, I got so angry. I was like, there's no way that she would have a ponytail that stayed that high. Maybe she went to bed with it like that, but I highly doubt it because any girl with a mom who cares about her hair knows that if you sleep with a hair tie in your hair, it's going to break all your hair off. Um, at least that's what my mom always told me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, that's the same. That's what I was told as well. Not necessarily that it would break off, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good for your hair. It's the same with, you know, sleeping with a bra you know your body needs to breathe your body needs to move and you know you sleep half of your life so yeah be free (laughs) I mean I'm included I'm exaggerating of course but it does cause breakage the more you put your hair up it causes breakage um especially if you go to bed with your hair in in uh tied up in any way and even if she did go to bed with her hair up in a high ponytail, there's no way after a few hours of rolling around that it would stay like that. It would be loose and like hanging down. I would have been okay if she had like a loose ponytail that was like near the nape of her neck. But once again, right. it, it was a weird choice. Yeah. And I mean, as somebody who rocks a high ponytail on occasion, not now since my hair is shorter, but you know, I used to rock a high ponytail all the time. I would never, ever sleep with my hair up like that. You know, not only have you got hairspray in there to just tame those tangles. For me, I have very thick hair and I have very long hair or I had very long hair. So that weight of actually having your hair up in a high ponytail, the end of the day, when you take that out, you're like, you're like, ah, you know, yeah. your face drops back to its original place instead <laughs> of it being, you know, uh, superficially lifted for the day. So, yeah, weird, weird choice. Yeah, very, very strange. Just not like a very thoughtful choice, in my opinion. I get what they were doing in the sense of it was that transition. So we've seen that, you know, when Betty wears her hair down or when Betty wears her hair in any other style to you know her traditional high pony uh things are not going well you know it's when she's sort of coming undone or she's letting loose I get that she went from homecoming where she had her hair down to you know she's gone to bed that night she's worried about Jughead she's gone back to her usual structured self but you would not put your hair up like that to go to bed no no and like but I, I get what they're doing that she, you know, transitioned back 
to her old self if you want to get that philosophical about it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. As someone who for most of her life has been defined by her hair, I also don't necessarily think that this is the best choice for characterization. Like, why is her ponytail the way that we characterize Betty's emotions when Veronica doesn't have that marker for her emotions she can go from all different range of places while still wearing her pearls and still having her hair perfect and still you know what I mean like she doesn't have to have this marker of something's wrong something's off Jughead has it in just that if he's not wearing his hat it's either a special occasion or he's too tired to deal with it um and Archie doesn't really have that either I'm trying to think of any other uh, any other like character who's like that and maybe the only other one is Cheryl who if she doesn't have her makeup done perfectly is kind of having an off time but that could be done for any woman and isn't really particular to her character right I mean I don't mind it so much um I like the fact that that we see Betty literally become undone when she's in those situations, you know, where her hair is the signifier. I don't, I don't mind that that's her, that's her, you know, indicator of where she is emotionally. Um, I think that if you wanted to really break it down, it would probably be because of Alice's influence. You know, that very strict, like, you must look this certain way, you must behave this certain way. And I think that was probably ingrained in Betty from a young age. And even if, you know, you look at Polly, she's always got a headband, her hair's always pushed back, you know, even even though she sort of broke out of that mould, she's still very perfect in the way that she behaves and dresses and does her hair. So I don't know. I'm sure there's some kind of psychology behind all of that. Yeah, and I and it makes sense. And I don't I don't necessarily not like this trait that they've put onto Betty. It I do find it interesting and I like seeing the, the way the ways that they play with it. But I think what irks me about it is just that it's just Betty. And it's not like a consistent thing throughout the at least main cast of characters. Um, yeah, specific it, to her. It seems like an easy thing that you could, because they they half do it with Jughead with the hat. So it's like the it's like half there, but we don't have the other two for Archie and Veronica. And I think you could really easily do that. I mean, you could, I guess someone could argue that Veronica with her pearls when she doesn't have her pearls on, but that's not really a big signifier of anything with her, in my opinion. But I think that's no, I, what irks me. That's fair. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not bothered by it. I just wish they were more careful with it. Like this instance where she goes to bed with her hair tied up. Like, that's just dumb. That's just dumb. That's just bad hair and makeup and continuity and whatever else you want to throw in there. Kind of, It was bad. It's just kind of lazy. <laughs> Because you could, they could easily have had her going to bed like a normal person with her hair down, and then she puts her hair up, and then when she, when you cut, you see her with her, you don't even have to, like, maybe Lily's not good at putting her hair up in a ponytail, that's fine. Not every girl is very good at, like, doing hair stuff, but there's just a really easy way of signifying, like, oh, this is, we're now into action Betty. Betty's Betty's now at the place where we know her to be at her constant with her high ponytail and whatnot. Like a really easy cut of like her taking her hair tie off her hand and starting to put her hair up. And then when she walks out the door, you see that her hair's up. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This seemed a little lazy too. Well, the next note that I had was... Um... In regards, actually, to uh, Betty again, naturally, but a really simple moment that I think could have been overlooked but had quite a lot of, like, gravitas, if you want to say, to it. So 
Jughead obviously comes to school to go and apologize to Cheryl. He's a mess because his dad's allegedly killed Jason and Cheryl's upset because um, they've just discovered, you know, that FP's allegedly killed her brother. But what I thought was interesting was that, you know, Jughead goes and apologizes to Cheryl and then Cheryl starts beating on him and then Jughead, you know, leaves. And the next scene we see is Cheryl in the bathroom crying. I thought it was incredibly important, this scene, because we have Betty going to see if Cheryl is okay instead of going to see if her boyfriend is okay. Yeah, I mean, that is part of it, I think. I, I also think, and I, I agree, it's totally important to, to Betty's character and things like that, but it's also in that moment her going to defend Jughead, too. So it's not just her... It's not just her taking care of Cheryl, but it's also her taking care of Jughead, just not with him in the moment. Um, which is, for better or worse, I, if yeah. that's what she should do, I don't know. But yeah, I, I love... For one, I love the scene where Cheryl beats up on Jughead. I just think that scene is so, so good. I don't know what it is that I even thoroughly enjoy about that scene, but I really like when Cheryl and Jughead interact um, because they're so two completely different characters. Um, and seeing them in that moment, it felt like they were on the same page. Like, I don't think Jughead thinks that he deserves to that, but in a way, I think maybe a dark sad part of him does think he deserves her to to do that but I think it's also just his understanding that she needs to do this right now and she is the victim as much as he is too so he's gonna allow her to do what she needs to do right now to him even though he didn't do anything wrong um so I really yeah I agree it's that deprecating um nature that he has yeah and I think it's just also just an understanding that like he he said he apologized and that's all he can do. That's all he can't do anything else to ease her pain. So right. Maybe he can also just give her this this outlet, this moment where she can scream and cry and hit him cuz he knows he's going to be fine. Like physically he's going to be fine after that. Um so I love that scene. <laughs> um but yeah, and, I, and then I think Betty going to Cheryl afterwards. It it is diff- it is interesting that she goes to Cheryl instead of Jughead, but I think it also is for Jughead as much as it is for Cheryl too. Yeah, I just thought the scene was, I don't know, I I don't really like confrontation scenes, so for (laughs) me they always create a level of anxiety, but in this scene, like, I keep putting myself into this position um, of, of Betty where I would be like, I would see my boyfriend coming in I would know what he's going through at the moment. And that would like spring me up out of my seat and I would be by his side, not watching him get beat up by Cheryl. So for me, I'm like, Betty, get up, get up, get up, get up, help him, you know? But also it's a TV show. I need to relax. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. And in, in, (laughs) In fake life, I love confrontation. In real life, especially physical violence, I hate it. The Like, when I had a boyfriend in high school and he started to get physical with another guy and they were going to fight at lunch and it was all this stuff, I just started crying. Um, <laughs> like, I'm a, I do not care for physical stuff. I kind of freeze up and things like that. So that, I think that, I think if it was, if I was Betty in that situation, I would probably freeze up like she did. Um, because I really wouldn't really know what to do. And also not saying like Cheryl's weak. I don't want to perpetuate that heteronormative that men are stronger than women. Cheryl could really hurt Jughead if she was meaning to it. It kind of looks like she gave him a bloody lip. Maybe she scratched his lip with her nail or something like that, but he didn't get any bruises or anything like that. And I also just think in, in the terms of this, like, I'm going to put air quotes around it, fight. I don't think she's trying to really hurt him. I feel like if she wanted to really punch him, really, um, like, really cause him bodily harm with those nails and, like, with her 
like ferocity, she could. But I think what that is more than anything, it's that kind of like, and you see it a lot in film and things like that, where someone out of frustration starts like, I, I just saw it the other day. I was watching Uptown Girls, which is so random. <laughs> but, oh, okay. Wow. Oh, cool. But you know Brittany Murphy and um, um yeah, yeah. Dakota, there's a moment where just out of Dakota Fanning's character, um, who's a little girl, but is just going through all this grief and so upset, and she just starts hitting um Brittany Murphy, uh, and like punching her in the stomach, but it's not to hurt her it's just because she's so filled with emotion and so can't do anything about it that she just has to take it out on someone but isn't really trying to harm them is just trying to like let things out physically and I think that's exactly what this is too um yeah the difference is that Cheryl is not a little girl um although in many ways she is because she is a teenager she really is, yeah. a child <laughs> Um, but they're both kids in this instance, and there's not an adult taking care of a child and all that stuff. But that's what kind of it reminds me of. And I don't, I really don't think anyone was like worried about Jughead's safety in that moment. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's yeah, it was just a a weird little thing, but I don't know. It's yeah, I get that. I get the, the, like, she's frustrated and she's not really hitting him to hurt him. She's just hitting him because it's the situation. Yeah, and he's as close as she can get to the man who she thinks murdered her brother. Exactly, exactly. But I think she knows as well deep down it's not his fault. Yeah, and she, I think she says as much to, to Betty when they, when they Pretty have their much. conversation. I don't remember verbatim, but, um, yeah. and also... I, I find Cheryl's journey in this episode really interesting, and I love that we're getting a lot of breadcrumbs and foreshadowing to what's to come with her in the next episode, because I love her. Mm. The next episode that we'll, we're doing is kind of the the one where I was like, oh, I love Cheryl. <laughs> it was where I was like, oh, yes, I I really enjoy her. Um, and this is kind of laying out all the the breadcrumbs for that for how she's really going downhill emotionally. And I I can't remember if it's the scene with Betty. I think it has to be where she kind of says like, everyone keeps coming up to me and saying, oh, you must like, it must feel so good. You must be so at ease knowing who the person who killed your brother is and all this stuff. And she's just like, that's not how I feel. I don't feel like that at all. And it seems we're watching her kind of deteriorate. Um, throughout the season because from the beginning when she, when he was just missing and she knew that he wasn't actually missing and that he was supposed to have been totally safe and fine she's totally fine and peppy and all that stuff and positive and even when he first is dead she's she's more angry we're seeing her go through the stages of grief um and i like that it's interesting to me yeah i do too she yeah she she has a lot of diversity to her Cheryl it's very easy for us to not like her and then at the same time it's um it's very easy to go on that journey with her as well she's yeah she's a bit of an enigma you never really know what you're going to get with her yeah and that's that's the that's the interesting thing with her is that you you never really know what you're going to get and I'm going to jump a little bit but when she finds Please. out the truth sorry what were you gonna say oh no 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 I said yeah go for it jump oh. um when we get to like the end of the episode and she gets the call from Betty um and she learns the truth about what happened although now thinking about it I'm realizing that taking someone's word over the phone about it is maybe not the best way to do it like, I think I would maybe be more, I don't know. <laughs> I think I maybe would be more hesitant if I got a phone call from a girl who's not really my friend, but like kind of my friend saying mm -hmm. that my dad's a murderer. But in just terms of, <laughs> now I'm like thinking about that more, but um, in just terms of her being really unexpected, what I would expect someone to do and what I would do in that situation would be I'd run out of the house. 
I would leave the house, I would steal the car, I would drive away, and all that stuff. But what she does instead is so wild. She just goes downstairs and is like, and confronts him, confronts a person who she was just murdered her brother. Do Do you think that she kind of already had worked it out, and yeah. and she was she was just waiting for that confirmation that it was him? Yeah, I do. And I think that's why, I think that's why she doesn't just run out. I think if she was totally unaware that she would have done what I was suggesting and run out of the house, which is what I would have done regardless of if I had inklings that that was probably what it is. But regardless, but yeah, I think ever since she found the ring in her uh, parents when she was with Polly and all that stuff, I think ever since she found that ring, she's been really questioning the truth behind her parents' relationship with Jason. And I think what she was waiting on was to what to find out whether it was her mom or her dad. Because she kind of questions her mom. She must feel more comfortable or close to her mom um, where she kind of questions her. And then she takes her over to all the syrup and stuff. Um, but I think she was just waiting on which which one it really was. And she, she got that affirmation. And that was why she, she felt comfortable walking up to a murderer but I still just like, that's <laughs> wild yeah I know and just confront oh god oh god. it's just oh god okay yeah it's just I know it's so dumb and it's so smart and it's so stupid and it's so brilliant and all of those words that contrast one another um I just on this scene, well, actually prior to the scene, when she first goes to Penelope and she's like, you know, did daddy do something bad? And then Penelope kind of grabs her and then um, storms her off into the barn. I'm confused about this scene. So the note that I wrote is I don't understand why Penelope takes Cheryl to the barn to show her the syrup. Is she in the dark about the drugs too? So let me let me explain myself uh, further. So she goes and she said, did daddy do a bad thing? Or, you know, like what happened? And then Penelope gets really frustrated and goes, do you want to know the secret? Fine. Here's the secret and takes her into that barn. And she's like, it's syrup. There's syrup. You know, is she kind of like being like, you dumb girl, there is no secret. It's just syrup. Or is she going, the syrup is the secret because the drugs are in the syrup? Like, I, I'm really confused about this scene. Hmm, yeah. I I always took it as, um, she, she is, uh, Penelope is just as in the dark as Cheryl was. Um, hmm. from the get-go. I think that's why she leans on her husband so much with Jason's death why we see her mourning Jason and leaning on her husband about it. She's completely in the dark about this. I feel like if she had any inkling of the shady side of this business, of the things that Jason was being asked to do for his father and that kind of stuff, that she would be more suspicious of him um, from the beginning. But that's not what we see at all. She totally trusts him. She totally leans on him. And I really just don't think she has any idea what the truth is. And I think the reason she takes her to the syrup is to be like, yeah, you're like, this is what, exactly what you said. Stupid girl, this is it. This, what you see is what you get. There's no dark secrets in our family or whatever. But she's just completely in the, in the dark. And just um, thematically and writing-wise, I think that she does it so that we see the barn <laughs> before we see the barn again with this added fixture hanging from it. You know what I mean? Right. Because I think, I think initially when I first watched Riverdale and I first watched this episode way back when, I think I assumed that, um, that uh, Penelope knew about the situation and she was being ironic about being like, look, it's just syrup, but little does, Cheryl realized it's no, it's behind the syrup is where the drugs are. That's what I thought 
she meant. And then I watched it this time and I was like, well, hang on a minute. I don't think she actually gets it. No, I don't think so. And and that made me realize, oh, hang on a minute. That's that's what's going on. But yeah, it was very um it was kind of misleading if that's the right word. I just yeah, was like, wait, yeah. does she know or doesn't she know? But then she makes like so if she didn't know and if she's just as in the dark as um Cheryl why is like she she knew about the families like when Hal and Alice and Betty go to get Polly after you know Hal's revelation about uh them being of blossom descent Penelope is aware of that she makes that really disgusting comment about like nothing could be more purely blossom than those two babies you know, yeah. or the baby or yeah. whatever the line is. So she is clued in about some scandal in the family. So why not this one? Why was she kept in the dark about it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would say that, and this isn't necessarily like, this is just like a writing inconsistency issue. <laughs> That, like, she, it's easier to make her in the dark about it because then they get the grieving mother thing before the, before the truth comes out about who actually murdered Jason. And then you also get the fallout afterwards where she's not culpable of anything and she can still be on the show and be this fixture on the show. Yeah. But that's just a technical reason, not necessarily a good story reason. But I do kind of think that's what it is. Okay, well, I guess I have to take it because I can't come up with anything uh, better myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, My, just on like, you know, the whole rescue of of, um, Polly and everything like that, the next couple of notes that I have are actually all based on you know, Hal's confession about the family to what happens at the Blossoms place. Um, So let me, I'll go through my first one. I don't think I remembered that Alice didn't know about the Blossom family. Uh, You know, the the Coopers being of descent of the Blossoms. Mm. My thing is, and this is what my note says, why didn't Hal just tell everybody and then all of this shenanigans could have been avoided because his own pride I don't know I think the same thing because if he had just said to his daughter that's your cousin you don't want to date him she would never have gotten pregnant most likely and I think everything would have been okay but it's that thing it's that it's that I want to reference Spring Awakening just because it's that huge thing to me that biggest example of when parents hide things or when adults hide things from kids when adults hide things from teenagers and children um there's a fallout uh when you aren't clear with communication things are going to happen and there's going to be and just bad things will follow um and that's exactly what this situation is yeah, it it really is because it's kind of like, don't date him, don't date him. So what do you do? You're going to date him because mm-hmm. it, it is more enticing when it's forbidden. Yep. And then look what happened. She slept with her cousin. And <laughs> how literally could it just been like, that was your cousin, but his pride got in the way, which was just, I mean, he's only got himself to blame. And then he tries to send Polly away. That poor girl had no idea she slept with her cousin. Yeah. You know, and granted, okay, in the grand scheme of things, it was her, like, third cousin once removed kind of thing. You know, it is the same blood, but it's almost, almost at that point where it could maybe be okay. Maybe. But it's still icky. It's still icky. Oh, it is. 
It is. It's really icky. That's, yeah. I am. <laughs> Just to digress really quickly, there, uh, I used to get my hair done by this lady um, in Australia, and her and I uh, would always, you know, as you do when you're going to get your hair done you would just talk about nonsense. And then I remember this one day, she's like, my cousin's marrying my other cousin. And I was like, what? You lie. And she's like, no, no, it's true. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And she goes, uh, these were like, no, beg your pardon. They weren't her cousins. They were her husband's cousins. Mm -hmm. She goes, oh, my husband, he's got, you know, uh, this girl cousin, let's call her Betty. No, actually, let's not. Let's call her Polly. <laughs> and um, he's got this guy cousin, let's call him Jason. And apparently they were like first cousins, but they like fell in love and they decided to get married. And the families were saying like, you can't have kids like you know, um, what if something happens because it's closely related, you know, there might be problems for the children. Like we get you're in love. We don't approve, but like, don't bring kids into this situation because they may end up suffering for something that had nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, this hairdresser was like, nope, they're still having kids. They're planning to have kids and they think that they're going to get away with it and nothing's going to be wrong with their kids because they're in love. And, Oh, I'm like, oh God. And so every time I go and have my hair done, she would update me. And then the last time I went and had my hair done there before I moved over here to the US, uh, she showed me photos of their wedding and it was gross. Oh, that's so weird. And that's the thing too that I was thinking is like, so if Polly and Jason, I mean, of course he didn't tell them because plot and story, but um, right. <laughs> if he had told Polly and Jason I feel like I feel like when we're kids that stuff's gross like we go oh that's gross like you're you think that that stuff's more gross than you might when you're an adult like I feel like when you're an adult you you for whatever reason you maybe because you're older and have more wisdom and things like that and and you start to think that like oh life's so short I should just go after what I want and and you've had loves that are hard and haven't worked out and things like that. Like there's so many more excuses and ways that you can figure things out in your mind to make that sort of situation seem okay. When, when you're a right. kid, when you're younger, you're kind of just like, Oh no, ew, gross. Kiss my cousin. Exactly. It's, it's icky and it's yucky. Yeah. It's, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh Lordy. Um, and um, what was I going to say? Oh, there was something really interesting that popped up in that is that I don't know if you heard that comment um, about eugenics. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, you are responsible for getting me onto the uh, bandwagon of my favorite murder podcast. It's absolutely awesome I love it I live for each episode that they release and they did an episode maybe like a month ago or something on uh the Lindenberg baby and I could and yeah I'm not sure if you've heard the episode that I'm talking about but they talked about the conspiracy theories behind the Lindenberg baby kidnapping and one was that um the, the father, I can't remember, Mr. Lindenberg, I can't remember his name, um, but he was a very big supporter of eugenics and was very much for like eradication of imperfection. And they talked about in this conspiracy theory about everything that happened, that he paid somebody to kidnap and uh, murder his own child because apparently this child had severe disabilities and you know again it's a conspiracy there's no proof of this but they they went into quite a lot of depth about you know um the abduction and how after um the the baby was um found murdered that um 
Mr. Lindenberg. I can't remember his name. I want to say Charles, but I think that was the baby. Or maybe it was I don't him. I, um, he went on this massive, like, eugenics uh, campaigning. He put a lot of time and a lot of effort and money into it and kind of became a little nutty about it. So for me, when, um, when Alice was like, oh, you know, all this, forget all this, you know, eugenics stuff, we're taking our daughter and we're leaving. It, am- it immediately made me think of that conspiracy theory behind the Lindenberg kidnapping and <laughs> everything that transpired afterwards. It was just, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Alice knows that conspiracy. Like that's literally where my mind took me. It was great. I loved it. That little one moment. I was like, yes, connecting it to something really cool that, you know, intrigued me. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, I didn't even make that connection, but that's very true now that you pointed out. That's very funny. Um, another note that I have about this particular scene, because again, I think it was so it was so meaty. There was so much going on with it. Mm-hmm. Is that I love, I love that Betty took on Penelope. Like Penelope grabs her arm and Betty's like, no, you're not going to hurt me. And it's just, it was great showdown because I do think that Penelope Blossom, if I was to meet her in real life, she would be terrifying. She is a very intimidating woman. Yes. And, you know, as much as I like to talk the talk, there is no way I'd be able to walk the walk if she was a real person. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I love that Betty doesn't just stand up to her and and says like like f you or whatever she's also like no you've done something wrong I know something's wrong in this house and I'm gonna prove it like she that's our Betty girl oh my god I admire to be like her you know she she has her flaws and she has her imperfections and all of that and she has her moments of insecurity but damn Betty can really stand her ground when she needs to. And I love that about her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have two notes left. My first note <laughs> is that I love that uh, Sheriff Keller is like, ooh, the bag has the initials HL. That's got to be Hermione Lodge. Like yeah. no one in the history of the world has the initials HL. It's got to be Hermione. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I never thought that he was, I never thought he was a shitty, um, a shitty sheriff. And, you know, when he gets, you know, spoiler alert for down the track, if you haven't watched it, uh, when he gets fired, when he gets let go, because people are like, you're not good at your job. I genuinely, genuine, genuinely, there you go. Another, another L word there. Um, I was genuinely like, what, what do you mean? He was great at his yeah. job. And now looking back, I'm like, you're an idiot. Dude, <laughs> Hermione Lodge just happens to be standing there. So naturally it's her bag. I mean, granted, we know it is, but like, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's, and I think it comes down to as well, tact. Like, I think it's the way he did it that, that is mostly the issue. I think anyone who, is sees this bag full of money, something that you would also connect to the lodges, um, would go, that's suspicious. But I think a better sheriff would probably go, huh, that's an interesting coincidence, Hermione. Why don't you come down to the station? We can talk about this. Like, they would do something like that. But instead, we're getting this, like, oh, it's your bag. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. It uh, it just it frustrated me, but it's Riverdale, and you'd think I would be used to it by now. But <laughs> there's always going to be something that has to crop up and and annoy us just a little bit. Exactly, exactly, because otherwise we wouldn't have a podcast and we would have nothing to talk about. Uh, my very last note, and maybe I'm being mean, but. I love that when our, you know, our, our Scooby gang, so to speak, are watching the video and it's revealed who really killed Jason. I love that Veronica has the biggest breakdown. She doesn't even know Jason. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. I wonder if it's Veronica. Yeah, because we should talk about that scene. Because I love that scene. I love the reveal of who Jason's murderer is. I love that we see their reactions before we see what actually happened. Um, And I wonder, too, if it's just that Veronica is not used to seeing... Not that any of them would be used to seeing this kind of violence. But she especially is just not used to seeing this sort of violence. And maybe without anyone knowing is the most innocent of the group. Do you know what I mean? Like she pretends to be kind of wise beyond her years. The way she speaks, she has that, um, she has that kind of, um, I can't think of the word, higher language like Cheryl. Um, and she's from New York. So people assume that she has this, um, kind of wise beyond her years air to her but I think it's a front um and I think this proves it I think she's much more innocent than than she lets herself appear and I mean that's what I took away as well when I watched this because I was like okay she's not crying because they've discovered who killed Jason she's crying because it's a traumatizing thing that she's just watched Mm -hmm. and I think there is kind of some relief there as well because she thinks that her father was tied up in this whole thing. And, you know, it's now revealed that, no, he wasn't. Um, But I did have a little giggle to myself initially because I was like, girl, you don't even know who Jason is. You don't even know who that person is in the video that is tied to that chair, you know? And I was like, why are you so upset about this? But yeah, you're right. It's because it's a traumatizing thing to watch. She is certainly younger emotionally than I think she lets on or innocent um, more so than she lets on. And, you know, it's that relief that her father wasn't involved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's most of it too, that it's just total relief that, that, uh, everything she's feared isn't true as well. Exactly. I know you didn't take notes, but is there anything else that, um, you're remembering that you wanted to talk about before we wrap things up? Yeah. I think we would be remiss to not talk about the FP and Jughead, um, conversations, um, specifically- you hated them? Yep. I actually <gasps> thought they were really badly acted. <gasps> really? Yeah, which is why I didn't write any notes about it because I, I love those two actors and I was I was underwhelmed by the performance. I can understand that for some of the scene. I'll just say the the moment at the end where FP is like, you get like, where he's like, leave and don't, I don't ever want to see you again. Like, don't come back. I think that was pretty good in terms of it not being like it's him acting. Do you know what I mean? Like it's FP acting. Do you know what I mean? So it shouldn't be, it's that whole scene shouldn't be that believable because he's not being truthful and FP is not a good actor and he's not a good actor. I agree with it. (sighs) Okay, so initially I was like, oh my God, what is with the acting in this scene? It's terrible for two very seasoned actors. What the hell are they doing? And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. He's lying. But for me, the only moment of believability I had with Cole's performance Mm -hmm. was that one little eye twitch at the end when he realizes his father is... uh, The rest of it, for me, seemed really pushed and... It, even, it took me out of the scene because I'm like, I don't even feel like these two people are related right now, let alone I don't believe anything they're saying. Interesting. I do think I do think FP's performance is really good. Uh, or to be more clear, um, what is his name? He has a weird name. What's the guy who plays FP's name? Oh, Skeet. Skeet. I think his performance is great because it's layered. It's that he he's not FP is not convincing. Like and that's the whole point of it. Um and so I really enjoy that. And I agree that the last moment with Cole where he where you see him, there's a word for that, the acknowledgement or like seeing someone when they're acting 
realize something. There's a word for it and I can't think of it. Um, but when you see that from him, I think that's pretty lovely. But I just didn't think, I, I think we needed to, to that the, their relationship was so poignant in this episode. I, I We would be remiss not to chat about it a little bit. All right. Well, since there's absolutely nothing I can do to stop us from having headed in this direction, I I, mean, I have a blank. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to say more than that. That that was really my thought. I enjoy their scenes together. Um, and maybe I just wasn't. I don't know. I also think that. Uh, I also think that looking at something and going, I don't think that that was well acted is a, is all opinion based. It's, it's, it's. Oh, totally. So, so I can totally understand where you come from by not feeling, if you don't connect to something emotionally, you don't connect to something emotionally and that's not anyone's fault necessarily. Um, for me, I enjoyed it. Um, and in terms of just scene, it as a scene between these two characters if, if we were just looking at it on paper I think it's pretty lovely um I love and maybe it's because I I come from um a relationship with my own parents that's difficult and that so when I see a parent laying everything on the line for their child and risking everything even their relationship with their child to protect them emotionally yeah. that connects me to it a lot um sure that well um, yeah that totally makes sense that yeah. absolutely yeah uh, it's um I don't know it's I normally like the scenes that the two of them have together yeah. uh they're totally believable as father and son and I don't know, maybe it was the nature of the scene. Maybe it was the fact that FP was lying and lying so obviously that threw me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just for me, it just, yeah, it didn't work that scene. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to end this episode on a down. Yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't know it was gonna. it was going to bring up such a downer. But I mean, regardless, I'm looking forward to next week's episode for sure. And next week's episode, do we want to have our ranking ready to talk about? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad you talked about that because um, or reminded me about that because I literally would have turned up next episode and been like, hey, OK, yeah, it was a great episode. OK, bye. Yeah, no, so, I think yeah. I if I didn't think of it. <laughs> Let's. um. Let's have our rankings ready. Uh, yeah, that's good. Oh, girl, that's going to be hard. I know. I know. Because there are some really great episodes. I think, you know, for example, this one is a real standout. And what I like about Riverdale in general is that I feel like their season finale is always the episode before their actual season finale. I feel okay. like all the big reveals happen that that second to last episode and I really really like that so it's going to be very hard to kind of put all of those other episodes in ranking I'm gonna have to go yeah. over all my notes and see uh I don't know which ones I had the most notes about or something like that yeah yeah definitely and also oh, retrospectively even if you don't enjoy it in the time that we looked at it but if you look back at the It'll just be interesting because I think I'm going to look at it like that. Like, look at all these episodes and what they are as I look back at them and rank them from there. Because it definitely might change um, depending on that. And it's very Game of Thrones. Yeah, like you said, that the episode, it's always episode, theirs is episode 9 and this one is episode 12. That's the the actual big episode. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Oh, it's going to be hard. It'll be really interesting to see if we line up on anything. Yeah, I'm curious. But like in every episode of Betty Squared, we always ask ourselves, what would Betty do? And I think in this episode, she would be a stellar sleuth. Mm -hmm. She would be a good friend, a good girlfriend, a good daughter? 
is yeah. that too much of a to say because she supports her parents no she is she totally is in this episode what uh what else do you think he would stand her freaking ground yes actually she would that there you are if we called this episode by other names like things that we talked about <laughs> in each episode versus after the title of the the series that we just watched or the episode we just watched, we would be calling this one stand your fucking ground. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And catch a murderer. But you know. Yeah. Fuck Betty was awesome this episode. Yeah. This is a good Betty episode. This is a great Betty episode. Good. <laughs> well, now that makes me happy because we're ending this episode on a high. <laughs> well, everyone, until next episode, um just uh try and live by Betty's standards and be fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Bye.